Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my blog, where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of inspiring you, giving you specific takeaways, also that your journey can be a little bit easier. Now, before I fully get into things, I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, let's get into things. You know, the, the biggest thing of last week was the final days of the crowdfund for my upcoming feature film. You know, um, you know, it was the, like kind of the last hurrah, um, wrangling anyone who was on the fence and so forth, right? And, you know, all in all, um, what was interesting, you know, sometimes you get a big ramp up towards the end and that didn't necessarily happen for us. Like overall, we were actually pretty consistent for, we had the campaign going for 60 days. So, you know, kind of from the start to, uh, to the end, we were fairly consistent with the donations and so forth. Um, of just incremental and, and stuff. And, you know, uh, but people, so in that sense, people did give even towards the end, but there wasn't like this big ramp up, which was okay, you know, um, not the end of the world. Like overall, we didn't get a lot of donations, but the donations that we got were very, very generous. And, you know, it's also an awkward time to kind of be asking for money you know, we're still dealing with the pandemic, you know, in terms of the, like, just the financial strain of the past year and a half. Plus, like, there's still an unknown facet to this moving forward with the Delta variant and so forth, right? So I get it. Now's not necessarily a good time for people to be giving money for essentially passion projects, right? Because that's really what it is. Um, you know, my passion and as well as the actors and those involved. But nonetheless, right? So, you know, I, I, I get that. Um, so in that sense, you know, I don't begrudge anyone who didn't uh, contribute to the, to the crowdfund. Um, instead, I'm, I focus on the people who did, and I'm amazed at the people that came together who contributed um, very generously for the, you know, like everyone. Everyone who, who gave was, was very generous. And it allows us to move forward, you know, um, in a big, big, meaningful way. We made about um, $2,600, right, give or take. Um, And, you know, certainly Indiegogo is going to take their cut of that. Um, So it's going to be a little bit less, um, you know, and that's, you know, for a movie, that's not a lot of money, but for us, it will go a long way, you know, in that sense. And... Yeah, you know, whatever we don't have, we'll, you know, we are on the side looking at various film grants as possibilities, um, potentially getting specific investors. Um, but even so, if if all we have is just the the crowdfund money and the money that I'm going to put into it, we'll still make the movie, right? It would be nice to have a buffer and have more, but it's okay. We can get it done, um, you know, as as Robert Rodriguez would say, mariachi style, right? We utilize what we got, we make it for cheap, dirt cheap, but we make it look expensive. And, um, you know, that's that's my whole mantra in terms of filmmaking. Make it for cheap, but make it look good. And I've gotten used to that, and I've gotten good at it. Maybe not as good as Robert Rodriguez, certainly, you know, not there yet, but, but um, incremental steps, I would say. So, you know, um, 
so overall, you know, even though we didn't hit the goal that we were going for, um, it's okay. It's okay. It, it, and I'm not just saying that. It really is. You know, I'm truly, truly blown away that people in this time were so generous. Um, they truly were. So, um, and I, lo- I look forward to, you know, making them proud, delivering on the perks that, uh, you know, that they, they bought into in the various tiers and so forth. And, you know, just bringing this thing to life so they can enjoy it. Um, that's what's exciting. You know, the other big development is we've been moving slowly, very slowly on getting the um, song rights for this song that I really, really want. And what makes it kind of, di- you know, um, it, it became a little bit more difficult because, you know, multiple parties own the rights for this. And so kind of all things have to work parallel. Um, but finally, like the the domino that needed to fall finally fell. And now... Um, you know, everyone's kind of been in alignment of how much money uh, for the thing, the length, you know, the the sort of deal. And now it's just about kind of getting everyone to sign off on the contract, signing the contract, and then we have the song. So, and obviously to pay for the song. So, you know, all these things are kind of, um, you know, moving and I'm really excited for that. I can't quite announce it until the ink is officially dried, you know, no one's even, right now the ink's not even wet because no one's signed anything, but, um, you know, in the next week or two, I will be excited to announce, like, the song that I have been working so hard, like, to me, this is, like, an instrumental part, um, pardon the pun, uh, of the movie, you know, it's a song that I want to use, um, because I think it just, like, embodies such a, such a spirit of the movie, you know, um, so there's that. You know, very, very exciting stuff. Um, the other aspect of it is, you know, we finalized a rewrite last week um, in script form. You know, once you have a shooting script, then you move into, like, various drafts. And there's, like, you know, the next, like, a second revision, let's say, of a shooting script would be the blue draft. And it kind of goes on from there. Um, and technically, the reason why they call it that is because, you know, the pages that a script gets printed on then becomes different. So, you know you know, just by looking at it visually, like, if you have the right script or not. You know, they'll say, we're using the blue script, okay? Oh, my script's white, so, okay, I have the wrong script. I gotta get the blue script, right? Um, obviously, for us, we generally don't, I, I mean, I certainly don't print the scripts um, physically. I think it's just a waste of paper, and certainly I wouldn't be doing that on uh, blue paper or something like that, you know? For us, we just have it on our tablets digitally and stuff like that, right? But, you know, the greater point of it all is this idea of what got cut, right? And, you know, it's, you know, I had this kind of discussion with a few people and, you know, some darlings were killed, but, um, or babies were killed, whatever you want to call it, um, which is a terrible phrase, but the idea is that, you know, that there's stuff that was written into the script that you or somebody else fell in love with, but they had to be sacrificed, you know, gotten rid of. And the thing about it is, you know, the script was 100 pages and really... You know, the movie that I want, it, you know, I can't really be more than 95 pages, right? And so, and the reason I say that is because um, just for a number of business reasons, you know, um, in terms of distribution, it's a lot easier to distribute a 95-minute film. In terms of if it gets theatrical, it's a lot easier to run. You can get multiple uh, screenings of it um, and so forth. You know, that's one of the reasons, at least in the old days now, you know, with COVID and so forth, who knows how. But, you know, and also... 
just I think from an I know for me from an audience perspective, it's a lot easier. Like if I if I don't know if a movie's good or not, and I'm kind of on the fence about it. If it's shorter, <clears throat> then I'm much more apt to excuse me. By the way, I'm much more apt to watch it because I'm like, oh well, you know, it's only an hour and a half, so let me check it out and so forth. And I know in that sense, it'll it it shouldn't really drag, right? Um, because if I see like a two-hour movie, um, you know that that's kind of that I don't know who the actors, the filmmaker, the writers, and so forth are. You know, it can. It, there's a very good chance that the movie drags, and it's one of those things like, uh, you know, even if it was an hour and forty, you know how you can watch a movie and it just feels like it's three hours sometimes, and it's like that's sometimes because of that. Um, and yeah, you know, and, and and part of it, part of my goal is to make the movie as good as it can be. So even without this self. You know, it's not self-imposed because it is a business decision, but uh, the idea of cutting it down, it still makes sense because I would want to cut it down, you know? Um, there's this part that, there's this, like, thing that happens, and in the previous version, it started at page 71. In the new draft, it ends by page 60, and it's a big important. You can, in some sense, call it the uh, the mid-act climax, and... Um, you know, or an act two, you know, mid-act climax. And if it just started at page 71, that means it's not really coming into the movie until like page, until minute 71, you know, theoretically. Um, And it's like, that's way too late. You know, from an audience perspective, they're going to be sitting there. They're going to be like, when's the thing going to happen already, right? They're going to be wanting it and and it's going to be dragging and so forth. So, you know, and I get it. Like, a lot of stuff that did get cut are just minor character things, but ultimately, it's not, you know, as great as they were, they're just, like, fun little um, tidbits, but they don't make or break the movie. So, you know, I had to do that. Um, and, yeah, you know, if anyone should be, uh, you know, sad to see that stuff go, it should be me, because it's, you know... I'm the one who came up with the story. I'm the one who came up with that script initially, you know, and obviously now people have had their hand in it and so forth, but that's why I have people involved on it so they can tell me, you know, what's dragging and so forth, right? Um, and, yeah. And ironically, you know, so my friend John Comerford, who's involved on the project, he, you know, orchestrated the rewrite. You know, I gave him copious notes, and he had in his notes along with everyone else's notes and he did the re- rewrite, and then, you know, I kind of even shortened down even more stuff here and there, um, knowing that I wanted to add a couple beats here and there um, for certain things, and, you know, I did that. So, if anything, I technically still made the movie a little bit longer than, you know, we had cut it down to. Um, but you got to do that, you know, and and. and it, and some people have raised the notion, well, why don't you just film it and see if you, you know, why don't you, if, if you don't need it, cut it in editing. It's like, well, I, I, I'm, prim- you know, if anything, I'm primarily an editor at heart, right? Like a film editor, that's what that I went to college for. That's, you know, in terms of filmmaking, that's what I've been doing the most and so forth. So I know from an editing perspective, I'm not going to use the stuff that I cut and we cut as a collective, like I'm not going to use. So, what, what, you know, from, from, from a production standpoint, if I can cut down a scene from uh, six pages down to four and a half, that's technically a minute and 30 seconds less of filming per each take, right? That adds up. So it, it becomes time effective. It becomes cost effective. 
and all this stuff. And it's like, so, you know, for all these reasons that I'm naming, it's like, I'd rather, I'd rather, if I'm going to cut anything, I'd rather do it in the script phase, right? Then, then on production because it's going to be a lot cheaper and you know the idea of you know falling in love with your you know your work and things like that it's a lot once it's been filmed and so forth then you do kind of fall in love with it you know there, there's this um very uh, at least in my mind famous story about sicario um you know that that roger deakins talks about where there's this scene um and it's just it's literally played out in a wide shot just one single wide shot and you know, on the day, they uh, filmed that first, and they had it, and then um, they had some other coverage that they were going to film, <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, the director, he he says, all right, we got it, moving on. You know, we don't need any other coverage, we got it, we nailed it. And even, so Roger's like, Roger pulls the director aside, and he's like, hey, so you don't want to get anything just in case? And the director's like, this is um, Denny. Um, no, because, because if we film it, I might be tempted to use it. And what we have is just so good. I don't want to give myself those options because it's just so good. And yeah, you know, I think we overemphasize sometimes like having options and editing. But the interesting part is too, like if I filmed um, a scene a certain way without pre-cutting you know, the lines of dialogue that I know that I, I I just don't want to be a part of it. It's like, okay, then we film it. Now, let's say in the editing process, I might have to cut around certain things, you know, because the blocking might be different or whatever, or it might affect the performance or who knows. And so why would I, like, in essence, it might feel like if I just film it, it gives me more options to then play with later on, when in actuality, it's actually rather restrictive, you know. We, we tend to have this habit that uh, we think freedom is just options. And no, freedom is really the commitment to a choice and sticking with it in some in, 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 a, in a large part, right? Because um, like uh, there's the phrase like I, 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 I should have myself to death, meaning, uh, you know, all the things that you, sh- you should be doing in some sense, like there's just so many options that it overwhelms you, you know? Um, over analysis or paralysis by over analysis, right? That's that's another kind of uh, version of where there's so much information that you don't even know what to do with, or you know, like when it's like in a restaurant, if you're presented with this like over gigantic menu, you don't know what to do with it because there's too many options, right? So sometimes limiting your options is a good thing. That's why I always say focus on what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have, you know. And even if you have so little, go for it, do it, you know. Stop stop lamenting. Just focus on what you got and make that work because you can make it work. And that's the beautiful part about it. You know, I was speaking with a friend today who just wrapped his feature film and about certain things. And, you know, he's got like one shot that he only has for a particular scene and, and whatever. And I'm like, well, the good news, your entire movie is about the intercutting of the past and the present. So, like, you know, if you needed to, whatever, if you're worried about it, you can always split it. I don't know how yet or whatever, but like, and you don't have to make that decision right here, right now. First, get an assembly cut of the damn thing, right? But, but you know, that's the beautiful thing about you, 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 can, you can start to get really creative with the problems that are at hand. Um, so at every point, you know, with the script, with the production and with the post-production, right? Editing and so forth. That's the beautiful part about all this. Um, so... Yeah, you know, um, 
sometimes, unless there's more, you know, the, the, the age old thing, subtract, addition by subtraction, you know, it, um, and I've seen it with like uh, authors, right? I, I feel like I'll, because we type on a keyboard nowadays and like it doesn't eat up paper and so forth, like we can just be as uh, extravagant with our words as much as possible when, you know, some of the books that like, I've read both that have actually come out. I'm like, this should have been 200 pages like back in the day. You know, you you look at like J.D. Salinger's Catching the Rhyme um, and other books of that nature, right? And they're, they're, they're not as thick as like more books nowadays, you know? If you're doing a fantasy genre, yes, it could be a little bit thicker and things like that. But I feel like uh, in general, we just overwrite and, you know, especially in art, it really is about being concise so that the idea that you are trying to express expresses itself. That's my take on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, there's, there's a great song, What a Difference a Day Makes. And it's used in Chunking Express, a movie that I absolutely love. And I thought of that song um, simply because, like, you know, at the start of last week, there was so much kind of up in the air, right, of, you know, how's this thing going to go? Um, could go, you know... Like, like with the song stuff, you know, that I've been talking about with the rewrite stuff um, and other, you know, other stuff in general that I haven't mentioned. And then, like, the next day, like, what a difference a day makes. All of a sudden, you know, the pieces are falling into place. You know, not that all the stuff is necessarily, you know, it's not complete until the movie's, like, finished and ready for distribution. But nonetheless, you know, um, just a, a single day, all of a sudden, started to put all these floating pieces into place. And, you know, part of that is just knowing that, you know, things take time, not rushing it, having patience, um, but at the same time, willing to do the work, you know, not just like praying that things get done, you know, being proactive about certain things, you know, there's, you know, even behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air. I mean, COVID notwithstanding. So it's like, okay, what's our plan A? What's our plan B? What's our plan C? What's our plan D? All right. All the way to Z, you know, so we have that, you know, um, to kind of be adaptable with, you know? And and even then, like, we might get to plan Z, and, you know, plan Z might not be the thing that works. So it's like, on the day, all right, we got to adapt. What do we got? Boom, go. So all that stuff, you know? And that's with any project, you know? You, you, you plan for the worst. You hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. You know? That's, and that's what you can do. That's all you can do. Um... And not to get, like, too deep into this aspect of it, but, like, it's like, you know, what you put out is what you receive, right? Or, like, good, you know, when you put out good vibes, you get good vibes. And, you know, um, in a major way, or maybe not major way, who knows? You know, I, I, I can't attribute, like, a percentage to it necessarily. But, but nonetheless, I, I think there is something to it, you know? Like, um, I spoke with a friend of mine. Her name is JJ. And, you know, we were just having such a great creative conversation about her stuff, my stuff, and going back and forth. And, like, there's just such a good exchange of energy. You know, she's, she's, like, moving forward on some stuff. And, like, you know, she's like, oh, you know, you always inspire me based on what you're doing. And I'm moving forward in my stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's exciting. You know, like, for you, you don't need to overthink X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And then in return, I was like, you know, and part of the reason, like, I'm doing my stuff because I'm inspired by you because I see you doing X, Y, and she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, like that's what I love about you. And she's like, oh, I never looked at it that way. And I'm like, well, I never looked at it that way for me. And, you know, it's just this exchange back and forth. And, um, man, if nothing else, uh, just 
just be on the lookout for those people. And when you have those people, you know, don't let them out of your life. Um, you know, always bring, don't just suck their energy of like me, me, me. You know, you have to give as much as you take, if not more, meaning give more than, than you take. But, um, but yeah, man, um, it's just awesome to have people like that. Um, so, you know, that's someone that, that like really rejuvenated me. And, you know, there's, you know, unlike with my first film, like there was definitely, you know, I had good help on that, um, film, but now I have more of it, you know, and now the people that are helping me also know kind of how I like to operate, you know, know me more in that environment. And so they're able to give better stuff for me based on that. So it's just, it's just really awesome. Right. Um, Speaking of the script, kind of backtracking just a little bit, uh, you know, once we had the rewrite, one of the things that I kind of went back and I did was for scheduling purposes and for shot listing purposes, I, I um, added slug lines for the various insert shots that were within the script and the various series of shots that were in the script. And if you're unfamiliar, basically a slug line is basically like, you know, it's a... It's where a scene takes place, right? Um, so, you know, when you normally write a script, you can, if there's like a quick, um, just, you know, one-off shot that's thrown in, um, like Christopher Nolan will do this in a lot of his scripts. He'll write like, insert, um, train passes by as people wait for it or something like that, right? I'm thinking of like Inception or something. So, um, and the reason for that is because like, it's going to be a quick shot. And, you know, to really write it out in, quote-unquote, the more proper version, you're eating up, like, so much space. And the idea is that, you know, one one page of script equals one page of movie time. And so, you know, realistically, just writing out one line, insert this, is much more accurate in terms of screen time versus, you know, writing out, you know, uh, exterior train tracks, day, a train, you know, speeds by as blah, blah, blah. Because technically, with all the spacing, you've now eaten up um, basically five um, spaces within the script, which I think, give or take, is like an eighth of a page already, which might not sound like a lot, but, it, you know, it does eat up a lot of space. So basically where I'm going with this, you know, we, we had written it in that way to make it, as accurate in terms of the page count and and therefore the screen time. But now for production reasons, it's a lot easier when all those things are broken out um, because then they get assigned a scene number and so forth. And so that makes scheduling it a lot easier because you know, okay, in this montage, we have five different scenes. So we got to, you know, schedule those because they're five different locations, even though it's like one quick montage. Um, also for shot listing, you know, now you know, okay, this is scene 62, right? So all that stuff. So it just makes production, at least in my eyes, um, easier to deal with. And so, so I did that um, for the benefit of myself with the, you know, because I went back and I revised the shot list, trying to really be as economical as I can. You know, I kind of, in the, um, in the grid that I have, I added, you know, certain notes of like, would be nice to have, but don't need um, some stuff I eliminate entirely just to cut down, right? The idea of, like I was talking about, uh, addition by subtraction. Um, so in that sense, you know, and what do we need versus what we what would just be nice and just too many options. 
Um, and not that many changes overall, but, but, but enough, you know, where it was worth it going through. And, you know, what, one of the things we will be doing is so we have a rehearsal this, this week, um, and we're going to be kind of talking through, you know, and one of my things is I'm going to kind of reset everyone and just say, hey, now we're getting to the business end, right? We're two and a half months away from filming. We got to really kind of focus and so forth. So, you know, that side of it. And, you know, this will be kind of we'll finish out the rest of the scenes that we haven't rehearsed. Therefore, we can put it into the rehearsal movie. And so with this rehearsal movie, I'm going to watch it with um, um, the the other person that's filming with me, um, Jonathan Moulton. And we're going to watch it kind of and we're going to have like it's going to be, you know, we're going to be on a Zoom call. We're going to have a screen watching the video of, of the rehearsals, the script, and then as well as the shot list, right? And so kind of my idea is going scene by scene, you know, we'll watch the scene from the rehearsal, you know, we'll look at the, the script and so forth, we'll look at the shot list and we'll kind of talk about it, okay, like, you know, based on rehearsal, see how this person kind of goes this way and they flip. So, you know, because I, you know, we have this medium shot that's tracking, you know, I want you to kind of like swoosh with that person and just just get a vernacular going and get a sense of like, because, you know, him and I very much like, it's going to be like a ballet. I want, um, the word for this movie is I want it to be frenetic, right? Both in terms of the cam, you know, everything, right? So camera work, um, the blocking, the acting, and frenetic, um, you know, just ultimately kind of a more succinct word um, in a sense of like energetic, active, lively, right? It encompasses all these things. And so, um, you know, that's what I want the movie to be um, in that way. And so, yeah. And that's why another reason why shortening the script helps because it, it paces things better. It gives it that energy, that, that, that frenetic energy, right? So yeah, all those things, um, you know, that's kind of overall what I've been um, up to creatively. Um, you know, as now my, my friend wrapped his movie, um, I'm excited because he's now entering post and, you know, he, he says he's, um, you know, kind of wants me involved to what degree we'll see. Um, but certainly, I think if nothing else, you know, um, he'll send me cuts and get my opinions on things. So I'm excited for that process. And I, you know, I said, like, listen, I, I, you know, ironically, there's only so much you can kind of do, you know, like all the things that I'm doing right now in terms of pre-production for my movie. At a certain point, like there's certain days, like I can't do anything else. Like I've done as much as I can on this day. All I can do is wait. And to like fret over whatever, it's like, it's not good. So, you know, having something on the side, like helping out my friend, it's going to be exciting. Um, so yeah, now, <clears throat> excuse me, before I fully wrap out, um, I want to talk about the recall election in California. And you might not be in California, so you might be like, how does this pertain to me? And it might not, but I think it's still um, an interesting discussion just on the principle because this idea of a recall election, and other states have them too, is in a sense kind of anti-democratic. And I would say the same thing if it was happening in Texas with, uh, with, with Abbott, you know, if they were recalling Abbott. And the reason I say this is because it's like you're not really voting for someone who you want. You're really voting for someone who you don't, whether or not you don't want somebody, right? So meaning there's, you know, the, the in, in terms of what we're getting, there's going to be essentially two questions. Do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? Yes or no? And if you select yes, 
then essentially, you know, then yes, governor, you don't want Governor Newsom to be the governor of California, um, regardless of whether or not you answer the second question. The second question is who would, who would you want to replace him? And then you have a plethora of candidates. Like the, the list of candidates is just enormous. And so what's interesting about this is that, let's say, I'm just going to use hypothetical numbers. Let's say 5 million people vote no on question number one, meaning they do not want a recall and therefore want to allow Governor Newsom to continue being governor, right? So people vote no, 5 million people. All it takes is 5 million and one people to vote yes that they do want Governor Newsom recalled and he's automatically gone. Now to who becomes the question, right? So, I mean, as, as absurd as it might sound, people can leave the second question blank. So, you know, just in a, in a like, I don't know, I'll call it like a doomsday ridiculous scenario type of thing, you know, the person with five, as low as 5,000 votes, in theory, if that's the highest number of votes for question number two, would be the governor. Even though 5 million people voted that they, they, they still want Governor Newsom to be the governor, um, but because 5 million and one people voted that they don't, then whoever has the most wins, uh, vote, most votes in question number two wins, regardless if they have two votes or five million and one, right? Like that, it's just, it's just that kind of mind-boggling. And so it's, it's essentially what, the reason I call it anti-democratic is because it's not based on the majority, right? Um, really, it's not, you're not voting for anyone ultimately. Like it's just whoever gets the most votes even if that's not the majority of what people ultimately want. Um, and listen, I'm sure and plenty of people are, do have differing opinions on that idea. Um, however, certainly with California, it's like we're, we're having an election for the governor next year. To, so to put you know, our tax dollars into this special election, it's like, what the hell are we doing? This is just, you know, it's a waste. It's a waste. If you don't like Governor Newsom, and listen, I'm not, that's the thing. It's not like I'm here praising Gavin Newsom as our governor. However, I know what the alternatives are for me. And and so, yeah, even if you don't like him, just wait till next year. Um, that's how I view it. Like, then, you know, but, you know. I just wanted to speak my mind about this um, because, you know, yes, it's not um, on the side of creativity and things like that. But, um, you know, all the, the reason I call myself a 360 creative coach is because in order to be creative, we also have to kind of know our place in the world, know how the world affects us, how we affect the world and all that stuff, you know, um, and like, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in the world and we can't just put blinders on in terms of everything, you know. Certainly, like this election um, hits close to home because I live in California, right? But certainly, um, even like the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan is a lot, you know. And these are all the things of the world. Um, and and part of being a great artist is observing these things, withholding judgment, really studying, asking questions, and learning, um, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, in a way it's ironic because I mean, in terms of our relationship, you and me, 
<laughs> you listen to me a lot, right? I mean, in the sense that all you, all you kind of see is that, um, that I, I'm talking, talking, talking in these various lessons, right? So it's like, oh, this guy talks a lot. Well, ironically, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I feel good about talking and I do these various lessons is simply for the fact that like, when I'm not taping, um, oftentimes I, I do a lot more listening than I do talking. Um, and so, you know, some people will say, well, it's no coincidence we have two ears, but only one mouth. So take that for what it's worth. Anyway, thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I certainly would appreciate it. Now is your opportunity to speak your mind. You know, if you have questions, thoughts of your own, as I'm sure you do, it could be about anything that I talk about. It could be stuff I didn't talk about. Comment down below or hit me up on social media at Phil Svitek. Would love to converse with you. Um, it would be it would be amazing, you know. Um, now, before also, you know, one of the things before I fully wrap out, in the coming weeks, I will be kind of updating my Patreon page and, um, you know, figuring out ways I can really be of value there for people who wish to um, contribute financially and be involved in that. So, um, yeah, you can look forward to that. But, yes, thank you. Appreciate you. And hope to see you next time.